When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. They saw what's heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were, now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderness because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Please be seated. Lilacs are my favorite smell in the whole world. <laughs> Even better than KFC. And that's saying something. Do you remember the old Looney Tunes cartoons? And the characters, Bugs Bunny, Tweedyberg, Sylvester, Elmer Fudd, the Roadrunner, and Wile E. Coyote. Though there were almost always different episodes each week, you know that there was basically one storyline that got played out week after week after week. One character pursuing an objective and never attaining it. Elmer Fudd tried for years to get rid of Bugs Bunny and never succeeded. Sylvester always tried to have Tweety Bird for lunch and never succeeded. And of course, Wally Coyote trying desperately, week after week after week, to catch the Roadrunner. But he never succeeded. And what was crazy about all these characters is that they were brilliant. They made int intricate and complex plans. They rigged up the most fantastic machines or ordered them from Acme. They were masters of disguise. They knew their targets intimately, knew what road, knew what road the roadrunner would be on at any given moment and exactly when. Y.E. Coyote knew everything he needed to know to succeed. He had at his disposal all the resources that he needed to succeed, only he never succeeded. The book of Acts is about the first generation church as witnesses to Jesus, proclaiming a Jesus who died for the sins of the world and is risen and alive. Jesus commissioned his followers to this a number of times. You will be my witnesses, he said. Go and make disciples of all nations. Repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in my name to all nations. That's the mission of the church. But it seems to me that for many in our day and culture, to be a roadrunner kind of mission, always pursued but never attained. Church is not about numbers, we know. In that I notice in Acts how often the author, Luke, draws attention to numbers. Chapter 2, 3,000 
were saved. Chapter 4, the number came to about 5,000. Chapter 5, more than ever, believers were added to the Lord multitudes of men and women. Chapter 6, verse 1, the number of disciples was increasing. Verse 7, the number of disciples multiplied greatly. Chapter 9, the church multiplied. Chapter 11, a great number turned to the Lord, and so on. The church, by definition, is a growing community who knows Jesus and makes him known. And the church in Acts was not only doing it, but doing it effectively. And it was natural for them. He talked about Jesus all the time. Peter said, we cannot but speak about what we have seen and heard. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are going to the temple. And they encounter a layman begging for alms. He asks them for money. And Peter says, I've got no money, but I'll give you what I do have. In Jesus' name, get up. And the man is healed. Now, the church didn't strategize initiatives to reach their neighborhood. Okay? They didn't meet that morning and say, okay, we'll go out two by two, and Peter and John, your area is the temple. Your goal is to initiate five spiritual conversations. And whenever one is speaking to another, to someone, the other person will stand off to the side and quietly praying for him. They just live naturally and proclaim Jesus as they did it. They were intentional, certainly, but never forced, never unnatural. But it has come to feel unnatural for most of us, hasn't it? For whatever reason, fear, apathy, busyness. Well, we know that we are about making Jesus known. It often feels that it would be forced. It would be unnatural. And like Wal E. Coyote, the North American church has become a genius at mission and evangelism. We order vid video series. We create out outreach events. We're trained to go door to door or to initiate spiritual conversations. We do demographic research for, to understand non-church people or this or that generation. We make changes to everything from dress, sermon preparation, music style, sanctuaries, to parking and greeting, and that the church in North America is getting smaller. So here's the question. What should we do then in order to naturally and effectively make Jesus known? What should we do to make Jesus naturally and effectively known? What was the secret to the success of the Acts Church? It can't be strategies and tools. Okay, if we count on these things to make us naturally and effectively to make Jesus known, we'll become Wally Kaoli Baptist Church. Always chasing, never reaching. Re-strategizing every year with a new vision and plan for outreach, but never seeing people actually come to Jesus and encounter him. And we will always feel the sense of defeat and guilt and failure. So what is the difference between so many churches in our day, programmed and ineffective, and the church I would see it in the book of Acts, naturally and effectively missional? 
The mission, simply put, is that of a self-driven model, a church-driven model, and the other is a God-driven model. It is by God's Holy Spirit, not self-effort, that Jesus is made known to the world. Where the Holy Spirit is, the church gets rapidly all about Jesus. And only by the power of the Holy Spirit does the church naturally and effectively declare Jesus Christ to the world with great results. Understanding this is a beautiful thing. It frees us from the sense of defeat. We have a feeling as something we're not meant to do anyway. As something we can't do ourselves anyway. It frees us from anxiety and hope that the Holy Spirit who lives in us wants to and will bring Christ to people through us in a way that is entirely who we are, entirely, effectively, and naturally in our personalities, in our context, in our skill set. Instead of trying to be what we're not and then being ineffective, by the Spirit we can be who we really are and then see God at work. That's the reality that began in Acts chapter 2, one of the most celebrated passages of the Bible, the account of Pentecost and the birth of the Christian church. The storyline of Acts is a spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the growth of the Christian church from Jerusalem to Rome, the hub of the Roman Empire. In Acts 1 verse 8, Jesus told his followers, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the beginning of the fulfillment of that promise and commission took place at Pentecost. In this passage, the Holy Spirit comes, fills the followers of Jesus, and the global mission is officially launched. The game is on. Because where the Holy Spirit is, followers of Christ get missional, naturally and powerfully declaring Christ to the world with great results. Acts chapter 1 ends with the followers of Jesus, 120 of them, in constant united prayer. And then chapter 2 begins, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Pentecost was the feast of the Jews in which they celebrated the harvest, honoring and thanking God for the harvest. It was one of those feasts for which Jews would travel to Jerusalem. It was not unusual for Jews to come to Jerusalem at Pentecost. And on Pentecost, there would be in Jerusalem Jews from all over the Roman world. And when Pentecost... The celebration of a harvest, which I think is quite by design. When Pentecost comes, the community of Jesus is all in one place when suddenly the Holy Spirit comes upon them in power. Jesus had promised this. And this is precisely what they were waiting for. Jesus had ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait until they were baptized, literally immersed, 
in the Holy Spirit, which would happen in a few days, he said. It took 10 days. And then the Spirit came. And the experience of the Holy Spirit coming involved sight, sound, sight, and then speech. Sound, sight, and speech. First, sound. The disciples heard something. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Not wind, but the sound of the wind. That is, they heard something that they would immediately identify with the Holy Spirit. In both Hebrew, the language of the Old Testament, and Greek, the language of the New, the words wind and breath and spirit are the same word. And the wind or spirit of God represented, was associated with, the power of God. And specifically, with his power to give life and being. So we have at creation, the spirit of God hovering over the waters as God's creative power is about to be exercised, unleashed, bringing into being land and sky and mountain and sun and stars and plants and beasts. And God creates man and breathes into him, and he becomes a living being. In Ezekiel 37, his famous vision of the Valley of Dry Bones, Ezekiel is brought to a vision, to a valley filled with human bones. No hope of life. God asks Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel says, Lord, you know. God says, prophesy to the bones. I will make you live and give you the breath of life. So Ezekiel prophesies, and there is a rattling through the valley as the bones come together, and sinews and flesh cover them, but they remain lifeless. And then God says to Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath or the wind and say, come, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they might live. And Ezekiel prophesies to the breath and the spirit of God sweeps in and the breath of life comes into them and the corpses become living beings, a vast army. This is what is happening at Pentecost. God is putting his spirit within this community of God's people. Before, he had placed his law outside of them, giving them a shot at conforming to his character by trying to live up to it, by performing, by keeping the rules. But all that the law did, exactly what God intended it to do, by the way, all the law did was to reveal that by human effort, people cannot earn the title God's people. Okay, instead of giving life in relationship with God, it brought death, separation from God. So God said, I will give you life. I will place myself, my spirit within you. Because the spirit of God is the spirit of life. There is no spiritual life without the spirit of God. And the spirit gives life where he wills. Okay, though the Spirit is in the church, the church does not direct the Spirit. John chapter 3, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, 
but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. There is a mystery, an unharnessability to the Spirit. The wind has power that is available to us. Okay, if we set our sails to it and can move us across the waters, if we set up a windmill, we can access its energy. It can refresh like a breeze and it can destroy like a hurricane. You can't see the wind, but you can see what it does as it bends the trees. You can feel it, but we can't control it. We can't box it up for use at our convenience. You can't order a box of wind from Acme. Have we tried putting wind in a box? <laughs> Does it work? No. The wind blows where it wills. And the best we can do is cooperate with it. And so it is with the Spirit. You can see when he is present, when he's active. You can see the effects of his presence. You can feel his presence. But we cannot command him or package him so that he shows up on our schedule. The Spirit blows where he wills, not where we will. He's not to be controlled. Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. The church of Jesus Christ would be a community of life. And if the church would become the vehicle by which God moves people from death to life, it could only be because the life-giving power of the Spirit of God would be present and active in the church. And the coming of the Spirit, the breath, the wind of God, at Pentecost signified that. They heard a sound, the sound of wind. And it was the first sign of the coming of the Spirit of God in power. The second sign was what they saw. They saw fire. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Again, not real fire landing on their heads, but the appearance of fire that separated and rested on each one. If the wind represents the power of God, fire in the scriptures was always associated with the presence of God. Moses in, uh, encountered God in the burning bush. God was visible to his people in a pillar of fire in the wilderness. God's presence descended on Mount Sinai in fire. And here at Pentecost, God comes to his disciples and, and is manifested by the appearance of fire. And the fire separates and comes on each one. It's a beautiful picture of the unity of the church. Everyone could see that everyone else had the presence of God resting on them. The 12 apostles did not have the presence of God to the exclusion of the other. The men didn't have the presence of God to the exclusion of the women. Mary and Jesus' brothers didn't have the spirit of God to the exclusion of the other disciples. Not Western versus Eastern. Not rich versus poor. Not black versus white. Not Baptist versus charismatic. Not old-timers versus newcomers. Not mature versus new believers. There is no place for pride. There is no place for thing. I have the Spirit of God, and you don't. 
which is significant because in the Gospels, we read that the followers of Jesus were very concerned with who was the greatest among them. That concern vanishes where the Spirit of God is present. They saw that God has rested on each one of them. Where the Spirit of God is, there is unity. Are the factions in the church, are the camps? Do you think that you are better than others? Do you think that others are better than you? There's no room for these things in the life of the church. And where these things define a church, then it is not defined by the Holy Spirit. But please don't think that when the presence of God comes in such a fashion, that it is always a nice or a feel-good experience. For the Spirit of God is the Holy Spirit. And if the power of God is a life-giving power, the presence of God is a purifying presence. And the image of fire in the scripture is often an image of the twin work of God judging and refining his people. When John the Baptist announced the coming of Jesus, he also spoke of Jesus sending the Holy Spirit. And he spoke it in the context of judgment. John said, he will baptize you, Jesus, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. When the Holy Spirit comes, he brings conviction. Sin gets uncomfortable. When God is present in your life by his Holy Spirit, you will see an increased love for what is right and good and an increased commitment to holiness. You can quench him, you can grieve him, or you can let him blow where he wills. But where the Spirit is, you will increasingly recognize and hate sinful patterns in your own life. You'll notice apathy, temper, lust, greed, shallowness, and you'll turn from it. You will also notice an increased love of Scripture and of prayer, a passionate love for God and all who comes through these doors, a growing awareness of and care for the poor. You'll see an increase in joy, patience, generosity, compassion, you will experience a greater level of obedience to Jesus. Your character will change as an individual because the Holy Spirit is a purifying presence in your life. And that's true for the church too. One of the signs of the Spirit's work in a church is a transformation of the personality and the values of the church. So they heard the wind they saw the fire, and the wind and fire would have been to them obvious symbols of the power and presence of God. They knew it was the fulfillment of Jesus' promise. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Power, presence. They heard when they saw fire. The third sign of the coming of the Holy Spirit was speech. 
speech. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, they spoke in other tongues, other languages. In the Old Testament, when the Holy Spirit came on someone in power, it was often for prophecy, for the declaration of the Word of God. And that's the case here. For the, when the crowd assembles, they make the astonished comment, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty words of God. The Spirit who is a life-giving power of God, the Spirit who is, who is a refining presence of God, is also the Spirit of proclamation. So if we want to be a church that proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ, we need the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So the disciples, immediately filled with the Spirit, began, began declaring the mighty works of God and the gospel of Jesus. That Jesus was attested to by God, that he died to take upon himself the forgiveness for our sins, that he rose again and ascended into heaven, that forgiveness of sins is available to everyone. This is the subject of all their preaching in Acts. And so it was natural them, for them to begin speaking. Again, as Peter said, we cannot help but speak of what we have seen and heard. Because the Holy Spirit is all about Jesus, and where the Holy Spirit is, is present and active, people are all about Jesus. God's people are increasingly compelled to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ, not just in preaching, but in conversation. And this proclamation of Jesus has power, has divine power. It is not just natural, it is effective. And before this day of Pentecost is over, 3,000 people will have repented of sin and turned to Christ for forgiveness and then be baptized. Because when they heard the gospel of Christ, they were, the Bible says, cut to the heart. It wasn't because Peter was a good preacher. It wasn't even because what he said was true. People often hear the true word of God and don't respond. It was because the Holy Spirit took the word of God as it was proclaimed and he penetrated it deep into the hearts of the listeners to bring conviction. That is the only way that the word of God ever bears fruit. The word and the spirit go together. And the church that naturally and effectively makes Jesus known is not so much the church that operates in the power of the spirit, but the church in which the spirit operates through the church. Okay? The church doesn't operate in the spirit. The spirit operates through the church. And so throughout Acts, the Holy Spirit repeatedly shows up. And any power or effectiveness in the church is his power, is his effectiveness. We think that when God says to us what Home Depot says, you can do it, we can help. God does not say, you can do it, I can help. His word is, I will do it. You can join me. What happened when the disciples in the power of the Spirit declared the wonders of God here in Acts 2? 
There were in Jerusalem at this time devout Jews from all over the empire who had come to Jerusalem for Pentecost. And the noise, either of the wind or speaking in tongues, the noise attracted them, drew a crowd, and they were amazed, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we all hear, each of us, in his own native language? As I said, before the day is done, 3,000 come to faith in Jesus, and the global kingdom of God is launched. This is the Tower of Babel in reverse. In Genesis 11, we read that as people multiplied again after the great flood, they said to each other, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. What do they want? They wanted security. They wanted fame. They wanted to build a tower that would be a monument to themselves. That's what a church without the Spirit of God is like. It's a monument to itself. And God dealt with them by confusing their speech so that they could not understand each other. And as a result, they were scattered. What happens at Pentecost reverses that. People gathered from all over the empire and having different languages are enabled by God to understand what is spoken and the monument to God's glory is created, the church, who then, again, will disperse as agents of God's kingdom in the world. Not dispersing in confusion, but dispersing with an agenda. And the end of this kingdom venture is described in Revelation, a great multitude that no one could number from all tribes and peoples and languages in the worship of God. This is the ultimate fruit of the mission of God as exercised by his spirit through his church. And it began at Pentecost. It's a mission to which we are called to participate, not invited, called to participate, and it happens by the Holy Spirit. So the question is, when does the Holy Spirit come? Okay, it's great to know that it's all a work of the Holy Spirit, but can we just then sit around hoping he'll show up, and until then, we'll just muddle around being the church? We've already said that the Spirit, like the wind, blows where he wills, and that we cannot summon or control him. So if we want the Spirit to have his way among us, then what do we do? Well, we ask for him to come. We pray. Okay? Jesus encouraged his disciples and said, If you who are evil know how to give good gift to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Lord, we are hopeless and helpless unless your spirit acts in us and through us. So we ask. And yet I've always often been struck by the fact that in the book of Acts, even though the Holy Spirit shows up constantly, not once do we see them asking for the Holy Spirit. He just comes. So when and where does he just show up? The Holy Spirit comes to an obedient church that is all about Jesus. Jesus told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem, so they did. 
And as they waited, the Holy Spirit clothed them in power. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. And so that's what they did. And the Spirit routinely filled them, enabled them to speak with power about Jesus. What is the best way to be with someone? Go where they are. And if you want to be the kind of church where the Spirit is active, you want to, if you want to feel his presence, then we'll join him in his great work of bringing glory and honor to Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit's own ministry is to testify to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit comes alongside those who are committed to what the Holy Spirit is committed to. Namely, the honor of Jesus in more and more people and more and more in each person. If we give ourselves wholeheartedly to know Jesus and to make him known, to desire his glory and pleasure above all other considerations, we will never have to ask for the Holy Spirit to come. He'll just show up so fast, we'll wonder what happened. When, not just to keep the rules, but out of love for Jesus, we are obedient. We love each other. We don't let money rule us. We set aside anger. We have concern for the poor. We speak the truth, but in love. When love for Jesus compels us to live this way, the Holy Spirit comes. He enables. He fills. So how do you recognize the church? Well, the Holy Spirit is a living and active presence. Is it where people speak in tongues or raise their hands in emotional worship? Is it when people are getting healed? The surest sign that Holy Spirit is present and active in the church is that people are talking about Jesus are looking more and more like Jesus, are concerned for people who don't know Jesus. When people have a passionate love for God and a passionate love for other, each other, people might not even talk about the Holy Spirit. He doesn't need to draw attention to himself. He draws attention to Jesus. And he shows up among people who want to draw attention to Jesus. There might be speaking in tongues. You might even be Baptists called to raise your hands in worship. People might get healed and probably will. But that's not the sign of the Holy Spirit's presence. The sign is a focus on Jesus. And then you see what we see in Acts. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The full number of those who believed were one in heart and soul. With great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. How does that sound? Hmm. Amen. Let's pray.